Welcome to Magic and Mayhem. Discover the secrets to creating magnificent books for kids and teens. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on a journey that's set to inspire and enhance your own writing skills. Download your free Magic and Mayhem ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre and I'm so thrilled to bring you this curated series of interviews. You'll hear from picture book authors, chapter book authors, middle grade authors, young adult authors and also from publishers in the children's writing industry. So you'll get a wonderful overview on how to write books for kids and teens. This week we're bringing you Richard Roxburgh. Now, Richard Roxburgh is a well-known actor who has appeared in movies and television and on stage. I mean, he's been in everything from playing a villain in Mission Impossible 2, an incredible performance as crooked cop Roger Rogerson in Blue Murder. He's been in Moulin Rouge. He's the lead in the TV series Rake. That's just to name a few. But we think Richard is a high achiever because he's not satisfied with being a famous and successful actor. He can now add successful children's author to his CV. In this interview, Richard talks to Alison Tate from the Australian Writers' Centre. And this is shortly after the publication of his first middle grade adventure novel, Artie and the Grime Wave. So welcome to the program, Richard. Um, very, very nice to have you aboard on your first exciting adventure and your maiden journey, shall we say, as an author. Um, so my first question for you, I guess, would be, how did you come to write a book for children? Um, well, I, I, I suspect it came through a variety of things. I was... Um, I was writing the odd column for, I was asked to write the odd column for the Sydney Morning Herald for the Spectrum magazine. And um, just quite randomly, I suspect. And, and I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the process of it and had a lot of fun doing it. So I think that gave me a little bump of confidence. And then there, that combined with the, fa- the matter of reading bedtime stories to my children uh, uh, for the last, you know, well, nine years now, um, and the great pleasure that that was bringing me, especially at a certain point when um, the literature that I was reading was just so beautiful, and it reminded me of the, the the books that had made such a big impact on me. And I guess I started then um, dwelling on the the notion of doing some writing myself for kids. Okay, so when you were writing those first columns for the Sydney Morning Herald, is that the first kind of writing that you'd done, you know, since school, or have you been doing other bits and pieces for yourself along the way? I mean, because it's that's kind of daunting. Like, please write us a column, Richard. Off you go. <laughs> I think it started out as a um, as a sort of theatre diary. That was probably the first one, and that was sufficiently entertaining or whatever for them to ask me back when. Then Richard Glover went uh, overseas or something to to fill in for for his work. Um, but yeah, it was pretty much yeah, <laughs> indeed. It was that was the that that was the first um, writing that I'd essentially done since 
yeah, since high school, I guess, or since, um, you know, uh, essays at university. Wow, okay. So you've now got Artie and the Grime Wave, which you've written and illustrated. Is this the first manuscript that you actually ever attempted? It is, yes. Wow. Um, absolutely. Oh, look, having said that, you know, because of the nature of my work, I've always kind of tinkered around the periphery of writing uh, film scripts and um, television scripts, but always came to the conclusion that um, I'm a much more collaborative person and this was a, this was a, a, a process and um, uh, a line of work that I wouldn't be suited to okay. because I'm so, you know, I, so I always need to be sort of shooting the breeze with somebody really. Um, so I shelved so many of those things along the way and just decided, look, that's something I can't do. So I think taking the departure into something completely um, diverse from my usual line of work was also an important step because it relieved me of any sense of um, its association and of sort of um, you know uh, a, a um, of, of the the thing as a as a uh, a money okay, um, yeah. thing so that it wasn't associated in that way and that was important for me as well. Okay, so how long did it actually take you to to create the manuscript? Like, when did you start the process? Not too long. Um, once I put my mind to it, I guess it took around about five months. And it, it happened at a kind, you know, it had to slot in around other work and it happened at a reasonably leisurely clip. I would work for probably three hours um, a day when I was writing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it, it didn't take all that long once I was underway. Did you find, I, I guess, having kids yourself, were you essentially writing the book for them as your kind of pre, you know, primary audience, so to speak, like you had an ideal reader in your mind? Or were you writing something that you would have liked to have read as a kid? Or how did you, was it just one of those things where you had this random idea for Artie? Like what, what was the kind of process for the inspiration of it, I guess? I suspect I was writing it both for myself and for my probably oldest boy or the age that my bo oldest boy was at that time, which was around, you know, eight, eight and a half years old. Right. Um, and he's nine. So he's nine now. And so I, I, I suppose having him there, it was a very useful element in the writing because not only could I test run it, but I knew exactly where he was. Um, uh, in in the in as a as a kind of guinea pig for for literature, I knew precisely the type of thing that would entertain him, but it also you know it really had to entertain me as well. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. Yeah, no, that's very true. Were you thinking like at what point did you think to yourself, oh, this this could be publishable? <laughs> at what point? Um, <laughs> well. Once I had a really substantial, what I because I'm a terribly uh, disorganised person, terribly disorganised. Um, what I thought I needed to do was to create a very substantial document, which was a, um, uh, a comprehensive plot outline. Ah. And once I'd done that, I felt comfortable in being able to then go to. Uh, a publisher okay. and say, uh, and go around with that and say, 
this is it, and um, if you're keen, I can go ahead with this. Great. Um, so, so then there was a deadline, which was a very important component as well. Right, okay, yes. Otherwise, you would probably still be working on it. Indeed. <laughs> it's right. extraordinary, the power of procrastination. I mean, oh, I've yes. never, I've, I've never, I've, you can, once you really put your mind to it, it's incredible how much pro- procrastinating you can do. I, well, I'm um, a writer. So, so, so having I that understand. deadline was great. Excellent. Sorry? I said I'm a writer. I completely understand the work, the, yeah. <laughs> the world of procrastination. Yeah. 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 The house is spotless. Yeah. <laughs> the fridge is clean. I get it. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so you had the whole story planned out in advance and you worked to the outline of that, basically. I did. And I, th- I thought that seemed like a fairly natural way of doing things, but I have writer friends who assure me that that's almost completely insane, um, that they would never work like that. So, you know, um, I guess it's just, um, you know, it's whatever you need to get you through it. But for me, it was having that really solid um, uh, piece of architecture in place was absolutely critical. And I felt very comfortable in so that the writing itself became really quite a delicious thing it became quite um you know like just just luxuriating and and savoring all of the sort of details and all the fun bits that sounds like a nice way to work all right so i tried to i tried to sort of tempt a a novelist friend of mine uh into (laughs) into this method saying it really was a great way and she tried it momentarily and just said no it's it's (laughs) nonsense doesn't work at all so, so there you go. All right. So, um, as an actor, you're used to taking on the voice of you know whichever character you're playing at any given time. But as a writer, you really have to tap into your own voice. Did you find that challenging at all? I didn't really give it very much thought. It's a really great question. I I don't think I gave it very much thought because I suppose I suspect that by the time I was writing it, I knew what or I, I could feel what the voice was going to be. I knew it was going to have a kind of rollicking, adventurous energy to it, and I knew that, that, that it was going to have quite sort of outlandish characters and that, that, you know, there was going to be quite a lot of jeopardy. So I knew it had to really turn pages and be a lot of fun. So I guess I was tapping into that idea. Okay, so my nine-year-old son has, has read and reviewed the book, and the one word on repeat, oh, oh yeah. And the one word on repeat in that particular review was funny. Like I said to him, "What's the book like?" He said, right. "Funny." What right. did you like about it? It's funny. Right. You know, funny, funny, funny. So <laughs> right. I guess, oh yeah, funny. Um, did you intentionally say? I mean, because funny is hard, and funny for kids is actually a lot harder than anyone mm. I think ever gives you credit for. Um, so mm. when you're when you're writing, are you are you you talked about you know setting out to create a sense of fun and rollicking and all that sort of stuff, but actually putting in the jokes and making it funny was that an intentional thing? Were you thinking, oh yes, this is funny, or is it just what came out and then you kind of read it to your kids and hope they laughed? Um, it's a combination of, of all of the above, really. I knew I, I knew I wanted it to be funny because that's my I mean, that the, the the fun of it is the kind of narrative life raft in a way that, that that kids will be going down this this river on they will be 
you know, they will be carried along on a tide of chuckles, I'm hoping. Um, because there's, there's, you know, there's other things in it. There's also, you know, there, there are quite a lot of other elements. And in fact, you know, my, my protagonist is having an incredibly difficult life and he has a mother who, to all intents and purposes, to the adult here, has, you know, agoraphobia mm. and she, she, he has a father who's died. And so he's in terrible straits and a sister who's the angriest 16-year-old in the world. So, uh, and he's picked on at school and he's, never, you know, he has, he's basically bringing himself up and he's terrified of life and of adventure. So there's a lot at stake there. Um, and so there's, you know, there's, in my, uh, there's a, for me, there was a very important, um, emotional, uh, component to the work as well that, that, um, I needed to make sure it was in place. Otherwise it would just be funny. And that was not at all what I wanted. Um, but the, so the, so the fun was, um, you know, the fun was a really important key, but it's, it's, um, it, it was important to try and uh, create a, a balancing act of, of quite a lot of different flavours. Well, I think that's what engages kids too. Like if you only try to engage them on that one level, they often won't even remember the book by the time they're finished, whereas he's definitely gone through and read the whole thing, which is also unusual for a nine-year-old boy. Great. And, that is great. That's great. And come back and said, I you loved know, Yeah. Well, you kind of had him. He read the back of the – I gave it to him and he read the back of the book and he saw that there was a character called Bumshoe. <laughs> so, of course, you had him right there because you can't go past the word bum when it comes to nine-year-olds. So, um, <laughs> yeah, right. Bomb, right. So, I guess uh, there's another question. Was, are you just sort of unleashing your own eight or nine-year-old self in, in this sort of stuff as well? Because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, fun in that sort of, you know, bum mm. shoe and that sort of stuff. I think so. I think you have to. I mean, I'm, I, I suppose I find myself having kids that age, you know, spending quite a lot of time unleashing that part of myself because you know when we play you know I'm mucking around with them I'm down on their level at times and quite a lot of the time and um and so I'm, I suppose it was something that became increasingly easy for me to access that that kind of you know the nonsense mm. stuff that kids love they just love nonsense and you can forget that and you can mistake the fact that they've suddenly grown you know six centimetres in the last uh, three months for maturity and you suddenly start to think, oh, God, you know, they're, they're getting so... But, you know, they still love nonsense. They love mm. pants down. They love bum. You know, they love all of the stuff, all of the that, that silly stuff. Um, and so, you know, it was, it, I, was, I was aware of that and trying to tap into that. Excellent. Too. All right, so you also illustrated the book, which, you know, I admit I was surprised when I realised that you'd done the illustrations as well. It's like, is there anything this man cannot do? But how important was that? Oh, there part? are a lot, a lot of things, <laughs> by the way. We don't need to go into that, that's <laughs> but, but go, go, yeah. <laughs> so was that an important part of the process for you, to, to do your own illustrations? It was. In a, in a way, if I'm thinking back, I can't remember. I mean, look, I'd, I'd always been trying to, find a place to to park these little doodles that I'd done and it's not like they're the type of work that that will end up in a in an exhibition or something they're not you know they're not they're not substantial in that way um they're just fun 
um, additional bits of creativity and expression that I've always done. I've always done my little guys with big noses and my my funny dogs and my and also a sort of passing parade of caricatures of those around me. Um, uh, so, you know, for for opening nights in the theatre, I would do a sort of caricature of, of or or a, um, some sort of a um, a drawing of the of the, the characters, for instance, that my my friends were playing in the thing, and and um, so that's always been there, and it was always going to be the case that I would I would do the illustrations myself. Yeah. Okay. So, did you write the whole manuscript and then you know slot in the illustrations, or did the illustrations develop as you went along? I mean, how did you decide what to illustrate and where? Well, it was an interesting. Um, it was an interesting voyage that one. As I as I was writing, I at first started imagining and and um, inserting. Um, you know, uh, this would be a moment for an illustration. So I, I put you know in brackets illustration. Um, <laughs> and after a while, I got sick of that, and I also thought, look, it's going to change anyway. So just don't bother doing that. So I stopped that at some point. When I then, when I, uh, and then before I finally submitted the manuscript, I went through and chose all my places to put um, my um, my drawings. And then, in working with my editor, um, it became apparent that a lot of the places were we that we disagreed on a lot of those places. So it was an interesting process. Mm. Um, I think I had to reach an understanding of of the purpose of an illustration. It sounds so obvious when you think about it, but what I was in fact probably guilty of was doubling up. So I would do, you know, there'd be a passage that was quite descriptive and then I would draw it, Mm. you know, and that's not really the point. So there was some very useful things because I'm a, you know, I'm a virgin in this world. So (laughs) there was a lot of, there were a lot of useful lessons that I, that I um, needed to, to um, get a grip of. Okay. So as a first-time author, as a virgin, was there anything that surprised you about the process of getting a book, like, that, you know, that really surprised you along the way about the process of getting a book published? Yeah, there were quite a few things that really surprised me. Um, I was surprised at the pleasure that I took in it, uh, the, the sitting down and writing of it, because I guess I'd found my attempts at, you know, writing... Um, film or television or theatre a bit of a punish so mm. I was really shocked at how what what a sort of unalloyed pleasure that part of it was I was then surprised I guess in the editorial process by there, there were just some things that blindsided me there was a matter of uh, point of view which I had taken for granted you know this sort of authorial voice thing so that I could kind of tilt my camera around and look at a whole bunch of stuff that my protagonist couldn't see. And so, you know, my editor at some point had to say, you, you need to, you know, you need to point your camera only where your protagonist can see, otherwise mm. you're cheating. And that <laughs> seemed very strange to me. No, exactly. It seemed very, very odd to me. And it, it, there's a part of me that's still bucking at it as, um, <laughs> because I sort of, I suppose I've, I'm, I'm so used to the, uh, the way that we break the rules all the time now in cinema mm. and television um, that I think, well, 
Mike, can we can we break that rule too? I don't, and I don't know. I'm still I'm I'm interested in experimenting with that, but it, it's nonetheless an important, you know, it's a rule that's there for a very strong and 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 important reason. So I needed to get myself across that. Mm. Um, and there was a lot. There were a lot of things I had to learn in the world of illustrations because that is so sort of <laughs> bound by matters of you know, formatting, page size, um, you know, the, the margins, there's a whole lot of stuff and I'm enumerate. So that was a, that was a real, that was, that was a bit of a struggle for my poor, my poor designer. It was brilliant. So, I mean, it- she really helped, she really helped me a lot. She was so great. Um, and we worked out this great shorthand of where I would finish an illustration and take a very high definition photograph of it on, just on my iPhone and send it to her, and within what seemed like minutes, she could lay it up on the page and send it back to me as a, a PDF and say, what do you think? She oh, was, wow. I mean, she was, she was a master. It was great. So you kind of got your collaboration after all. I did. I really <laughs> did. And I think that, you know, that made a world's difference. I loved collaborating with um, the page layout and the design elements of it. I thought, uh, you know, I had so much pleasure in that and she just you know Liz um, Seymour did such an extraordinary job with that so as an actor you know you're very used to putting yourself out there because you know that's pretty much what you do but this is branching into a whole new area so do you kind of feel a sense of is there like with a profile like you have is there an added sense of pressure like um, in the sense of you know success or failure were you worried about how it might be received or anything like that I think I was really fortunate that I that I, I didn't care at all. Oh, I mean, I, I still don't so really lucky. care. I don't care. Well, yes, I know, it's, and I do understand the the, the privilege of that, um, and that it's not obviously always that way for for people who are who who for whom you know writing is their is their bread and butter. Um, it was, I guess, I was doing it for different reasons. I just wanted to. Try another outlet for, you know, for for the simple matter of creativity to try mm. something that I always thought that it always niggled at me, and I'd always thought you could probably do that, mate, if you really, you know, pulled your finger out. <laughs> and so, um, so it was more about that, and it was there was a part of me also that wanted to express something to my children about what you can, what you can do about, uh, you know, that 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 you don't have to be um, tied up in a, in a, in, in a, in a box uh, um, in, in, in any one area in your life, that, that creativity is a very broad-ranging, expansive, um, wonderful uh, friend that you have with you in your life, and it can come out in an abundant variety of ways. Which is an excellent lesson. I think so. And, you know, I, you know, I hope that, um, I hope that, that it's, that it's, um, yeah, I hope that's something they take with them that you can, cause, cause whenever I've seen that thing expressed, I've always found it so exciting. I was giving the, the example this morning of sort of walking through a Picasso exhibition and just seeing, suddenly seeing these walls and walls of the most beautiful ceramics you've ever seen in life, you mm. know, and they were obviously Picasso's. 
But at some point, on some morning, on a you know bright spring morning, he's woken up and thought, right. Today, <laughs> now I'm give that you know, a go. Now it's ceramics. <laughs> yeah. And why not? Why not? Um, so I love that. All right. So now that you've discovered this aspect of your, of your creativity and it's all going so well, will we be seeing another arty book? Is there any more in the works? Talking about another arty book, I'm working, I am working on, uh, on another book um, as we speak, although it's kind of tricky to find time. Uh, of late, but yeah, I'm 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 working on another another work for sure. Oh, fantastic! Okay, well, um, to finish up, we are going. I'm going to ask you our famous last question, which is, Richard, mm. do you have three tips for new writers? I think um, one thing would be the most obvious thing, probably that everybody says, which is, you just write. Mm. Um, you just have to write. You have to fill in those three hours. Set yourself a limit and stick to that limit. Um, you know, and, and, well, you don't have to stick to it. If you're really on a roll, obviously, you know, keep, <laughs> keep going. God takes it. But, but just write and don't, don't fret about mm-hmm. it. You know, just write garbage. If it's garbage, just write it. Because I think I, I had... Um, spent a lot of time second-guessing myself and that was my undoing along the way with trying to, to, to um, get into the, the whole writing thing. Mm. Um, another thought would probably be um, another very simple thing, which is that you have to find the, the joy in the expression of it yourself. And, uh, you know, and I'm aware that that sounds like so blindingly obvious, but y- y- you can lose that. So there's something that was driving you in the first place to want to write, and I think you need to keep keep a hold of that um, because, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of, that's the pure thing that will carry you through. Um, and I, I guess you, you need to have a very clear relationship with where you are in the story because that's the way that the story has a vulnerability to it and the vulnerability is everything. So even in a story with this, with this sort of wacky array of characters that, that Artie has, there is a, you know, there's a rawness to it there is a there's an emotional rawness to it there's a mother who comes out of oh, without giving too much away because there are any <laughs> nine-year-olds listening but i doubt it but we but, never know but you know there's a there's a mother who comes out of a kind of almost moribund state who's dragged out of that state by the terror of seeing her son in a in an awful predicament and so you know you have these moments in there that are that are you know that are really strong and key, and so that that's me in the story. And mm-hmm. look, honestly, that's me and my relationship with my mother. Mm-hmm. So no matter how, what I found, I suppose, was that it's, it's surprising how autobiographical even the most wacky work is. And so find yourself, find where you are in the story, and put yourself in it. 
That's a great tip. That's a really great tip. Thank you very much for that. So um, that's all for today. Thank you so much, Richard Roxburgh, for your time today. And best of luck with Artie. May the grime wave take over the world. And uh, we look forward to seeing what it is that you come up with next. Thanks, Alison. It was great. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series for kids aged nine plus. There are four books in the Mapmaker Chronicles series, Race to the End of the World, Prisoner of the Black Hawk, Breath of the Dragon, and Beyond the Edge of the Map, and two in my latest series, The Adaban Cipher, The Book of Secrets, and The Book of Answers. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. I found it so interesting that because of Richard's work in film and television, he struggled to understand point of view. So if that's something you also find challenging, at least you know you're not alone. But it is a really important thing to master. And we have a course at the Australian Writers' Centre on exactly that, on point of view, so that you can really get it right. Because if you mix up your point of view, people are just going to get very confused and dissatisfied and sometimes a bit cranky. I also found it interesting that he had come to terms with the idea that the words and the images, you know, do need to work together and that you should should not really be illustrating and describing in words the same thing. So I hope you enjoyed the interview with Richard Roxburgh. You've been listening to Magic and Mayhem with the Australian Writers' Centre. For writing tips and awesome courses and, of course, our monthly short story competition, Furious Fiction, where you write 500 words and you could win $500 every month, just join our weekly newsletter. Go to writerscentre.com.au and sign up. That's the best place to start and you'll find out about everything there. That's writerscentre.com.au.